Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Shit Show. Oh, hi. I'm sorry. I didn't see you there. That's totally awkward random. Kia ora, everybody. Welcome back to a less traditional dish of the shit show. Well, no, actually, Duncan, I would think if we would have counted up, you might have been on the shit show as many times as Squish this year. Maybe. I mean, mainly <laughs> it's, I, I just don't, I think that I should be no longer considered like a fill-in yes. host, but part of the rotation. Yes. You know, I'm off a 10-day contract and I'm actually... You're a homie got, got for a, life. Got a, a proper deal to use NVA. That's definitely <laughs> how I see you. Is that not how it comes across on the pod? No, just that little uh, intro kind of felt like... Well, that was me saying it's not actually a non-traditional... <laughs> okay, fine. Duncan is now here to stay, everyone. Actually, that's up in the air because I get to make the decisions, right? No, <laughs> Kidding. I'm kidding. Um, how are you, Dunk? Really good. You're really good? Yeah, well, some some new tax policy, not tax policy, some tax data came out in New Zealand, which we won't talk about, but as someone yeah, who's been on. real interested in uh, tax data for more than 10 years now, uh, it's been a huge morning for me. So it's a real blessing that he's made, and he's made it clear that it's really, really nice that he made time in his day to come well, on the podcast. I've been cancelling my appointments today, but not this. And he's sporting a very fucking cool King Princess shirt right now, Duncan. Yeah, that's also boy. true. It's good, report, good reporting from you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I did some more good reporting this week, but we're going to talk about that in a second. Because first I want to know about the weirdest thing that maybe you've been seeing not on the internet, but maybe on your, dare I say, TV screens or something? No, I mean, I mean I've been watching it via the internet, oh, okay. but I feel like the NBA playoffs, which have been going on since, I think, like the 40s, are not internet-derived content. And but the NBA for everyone is? The National Basketball Association, the World's Greatest Sports League, in my opinion. Right. So the, the playoffs kicked off, like, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and it does feel kind of almost related to... Maybe it's not a panopticon thing, but maybe it is a little. Basically, there's a there's a Mashable story, and because Mashable writes about <laughs> sports now, um, the NBA playoffs have been defined by one thing: colon nut shots, uh, and then the the sort of stand versus ball punches, ball punches, taps, and kicks. And as someone has watched, like this has probably been the most I've ever watched the first round of the NBA playoffs, and I've never seen so many players collapse to the ground, clutching their their Dicks. Yeah, <laughs> Let's just you. call them what was... they are, uh, <laughs> and all balls, um, as as they have been in this playoffs, and it's it's like I, I mean I really want someone to do a data viz on it, even though it'd be very hard to to get um, clean data <laughs> if you will <laughs> get explicit data only. But um, but yeah, just like a lot, like players being t- kind of suspended, tossed out of games, like just constantly being hit in the nuts, and it's um. 
It's like a phenomenon. It's and like I, Mole Man. Mole Man who always gets hit onto the, on the Simpsons, who always gets hit in the nuts with the football. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's very much like that. But I also do feel like it's on. Like, I, I can draw this back to the Panopticon because I Panopticon content because I feel like it's in part happening because there are so many cameras and yes. everything is getting picked apart on social media. So there's an extra incentive to fall down holding your nuts now, even if it wasn't like a catastrophic yes. um, pain strike because. That's going to mess with the game, and it's going to get. It's, it's just part part of the content mill. That is, that is so fucking true. Like maybe ten years ago, you could have had a groin shot, and no one would have, unless you're at the game. None the wiser. But now, it's going to go viral. Yeah, and and it almost feels like because there are these players who are starting to, you know, like Dylan Brooks from the Memphis Grizzlies and and Draymond Green from the. Uh, Golden State Warriors who are almost treating the NBA like it's professional wrestling like they're roaring at the crowd they're staring at the opponent's faces it's just a very mm-hmm. like the whole feel of the game is changing as a result of the hyper scrutiny that, that uh, these series are under mm-hmm. maybe you should write about that <laughs> oh, fine. Fun. Chat about it on the shit show. Yeah, that's much more fun. Um, well, you might have noticed that Duncan mentioned a few times this like term that's kind of random. He was going between Panopticon and Panopticontent, both of which are like really random words to people that haven't heard them before. But I feel like a lot of people that have done a BA um, at uni probably have. So this week um, I wrote about something called Panopticontent, which has only been written about and was coined first by BuzzFeed News, which we're going to talk about as well because may they rest in peace, BuzzFeed News. Um, But essentially, it's the idea that, like the Panopticon, and for those that haven't heard, um, it's basically a theory of like keeping everyone in check where there's a watchtower in the middle of a bunch of prison cells. (laughs) Siri's just listening to me describe where I should be probably put. Um, No, a watchtower surrounding a bunch of prison cells, but the prisoners can't see if there's anyone in the watchtower or not. So they are just supposed to, like, discipline themselves based on the idea that they're always being watched by someone because they don't know if there's a guard in the watchtower or not. And I wrote about this and I put a picture, so if you go to the newsletter called Panopta Content, you can see the picture. But essentially, instead of us all being self-disciplined because we think that there's always a guard watching or the state watching, now it feels like we're always being watched by cameras and our phones and then we could go viral for the wrong things and it feels like maybe we should or do, or I don't know, start changing our behaviour based on the idea that we're always being watched by phones and filmed. So should I tell you where this came from? I feel like it'll make more sense if I... Did that make sense? Yeah, it totally totally makes sense. I I think it was um, one of your best newsletters ever. Really, really (laughs) well well explained. But also just the fact that you had this personal experience of it, which I think you should talk about, which, which kind of speaks to... You know, not only what the the concept is, but also how fast the the sort of distribution dynamics of social media have have changed interactions to the point where they're almost unrecognisable even over what's you know this. You're not talking about the 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 distant past and no. the story. So okay, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but fine. About ten years ago, um, Prince William and 
Kate Middleton came to my hometown, Blenheim, which is a very small place in the South Island of New Zealand. And they came there, I think, because we have a really cool aviation museum and they want to see it. Anyway, huge news. I was 16 and me and Rubes and some of our other friends wagged school to go and see them in our town square. And um, so anyway, they come. Princess Kate, is that what we call her? <laughs> Fucking Kate Middleton walked right by us and she stopped by us and we had a bit of a chat. I think we shook hands. I said something that my friend that read the newsletter reminded me what I said and it's not good. So it's lucky that Panopta content was not what it is right now because I don't think it would have landed very well. Was it like not good like hack or not good like... It was um, like kind of controversial. Time is overtaken, (laughs) that sentiment. It was like kind of controversial what I said. Um, Anyway, someone took a photo of it and I don't want to say the publications that it's in because it's very easy to go and like find the photo, but it was in like a few like UK publications. It was in our local newspaper and it was taken by a guy Someone actually reverse searched it and told me this was taken by this guy from AP News or something, um, which again, random to just have someone have searched it and told you that, but put up the content. Anyway, and so I wrote about this and I said the furthest that it felt like this photo could go was the local newspaper and maybe some random UK tabloids or whatever and then my brother's Facebook page, which is where it did end up. And that was fine. Thankfully... Like, no one was really filming it. No one was uploading it to TikTok. TikTok didn't exist. Um, you know, no one was tweeting about it. No one was trying to get a gotcha moment of me in the crowd saying this thing or trying to share it widely to get likes and social capital type of thing. It was very low stakes, even though this photo was taken. Um, but then if that would have happened today, Dunk, what would have happened? Well, your, your terrible joke would, would probably have been captured, including audio. Yes. Because you're talking, and, and because you're talking to this, like, you know, one of the handful of most famous people in the world, it's going to get scrutinized, picked apart, and, you know, potentially you, you can't do what you should care about <laughs> because you're, you've been pre-canceled before even leaving school. And that's, that's like a, that's not a, a completely, that's not an implausible scenario, no. right? I mean, because I, but then I don't know. Like thinking about your, what you said at the top, it's like I, the the idea that we that people will be kind of uh, monitoring their behaviour anytime they're in public on, on the assumption that, that anything they could say could be could be filmed and broadcast is like there's a you know yes you shouldn't say or, or do things which are kind of you know obviously contra. Uh, you know, societal standards or whatever. <laughs> but at the same time, there's something kind of sad about the idea that you, in, in in all situations, need to be so hyper aware of a non-consent-based yes. um, recording of whatever it is you're up to surfacing. That, yeah. You know, like, I, I don't know if that's the world that we sort of signed and up for. I don't know if we will get there. Like, theory, theory-based, theory you know, panopticon vibes, we might, but I that's what it reckons. I doubt it, unless you're like walking down Times Square or like US college campuses where honestly, there's so many TikTok inter- interviewers that are like trying to be like, what are you listening to right now? How much is your salary? What does your apartment look like? And and you just are like stopped on the side of the street and you answer or you don't answer and you still get 
filmed not answering and then you go viral for being the asshole that didn't answer. So unless you're in one of those like hyper viral spots, which is like a funny post-COVID way to talk about a viral spot, but like I hope that we won't be super self-aware that we just don't do anything. But like do you remember in the age of like public disturbance videos where menaces is menaces, menaces? Like menaces, <laughs> like you know, a menace times five would like go onto a train and like yell and do like really inappropriate stuff and like be really funny online. And the whole video was just based on the reactions of all the people in the train carriage. Well, I grew up, there was the Janoskians. Some people will know the Janoskians. Jet would know the Janoskians probably. And the whole basis of, of it was that you filmed be- yourself being a disturbance and you filmed people's reactions. I doubt they asked for consent. Of course, of course they wouldn't. You know, like, and it's funny when you go and you do, like, or you're in a situation where there's a proper consent-based, you know, like... Like, like a documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you, need, you have to get a waiver. Yes. And it's just so... It's, it, again, speaks to this idea that we have, like, a sort of... A particular set of rules that govern traditional media and, and sort of normal world interactions, and then this complete libertarian yes. space, which nonetheless is where all the energy and the profit is. Like it yeah. still buzzes me out. And it still is like people are saying, it's not legal, or no, it's legal for me to film them. We're in a public space, blah, blah, blah. And I saw someone make a good comment that was like, if like this being legal is enough, like if you think that that should be like the backbone for why you do things, like even if you know it's bad, if it's legal, you're like, I'm going to do it. That's just not a good, it's that's just vibe, not man. the vibe. So anyway, um, you can go and read the piece. I write about this girl that was taking photos and the two girls behind her were sort of making fun of her and then they got doxxed and then their employers got contacted and it got taken really, really far and the punishment did not fit the crime. Um but I just find – I feel like this is something that I'm going to think about in every video I watch or I'm going to take it forward and I hope that – that's why I wanted to write about it so bad because I was like I want other people to be scrolling their TikTok feeds and then be like that's Panopta content, that is, that is – really energised me. So anyway, you probably will hear us talking about this more on shit shows to come. We'll just be – we'll probably have a Panopta content buzzer. Um, because a lot of the weirdest things, I think, can be put down to that. Duncan's laughing at me because I'm sort of a nerd, I think. No, no, I totally agree. It's one of those <laughs> one of those concepts that as soon as you're, it's aired, you're like, oh, yeah. That's... Yeah, oh, yeah, that's the one. Um, okay, next, BuzzFeed News, Dunk. Yeah, so this, I mean, that was where you originally found out about the panet, mm-hmm. panet, panet, <laughs> To content, we're doing great today. I swear, an afternoon <laughs> record is not, is yeah, not I know. the uh, one for me. Um, but but yeah, so that was that was founded. You know, when BuzzFeed was really in the ascendant, um, you know, BuzzFeed itself was founded by Jonah Peretti. Uh, you know, he'd come out of Huffington Post with this idea about creating, basically, using the distribution dynamics of social media to to create kind of viral stories. Yeah. And BuzzFeed News was like a really big breakthrough moment. It was edited by Ben Smith, now the founder of Semaphore, and just like an extraordinarily talented writer and editor and reporter. But the idea was that it would use a lot of the smarts or that they'd figured out from from BuzzFeed to to make kind of legitimate uh, news stories go viral mm. in the same way and. Yeah, there was a, there was a real, and I truly believe, like you know, a lot of the time, a, you know, corporate messages dressed up as having like a particular mission or nobility to it. But I think that they really did believe with BuzzFeed News that 
they could make you know your stereotypical millennial Gen Z audiences care about things that matter. Yeah. You know, it was an idea in some ways. Yeah. It wasn't unconnected <laughs> from shit you should care about on a, on a kind of a giant ambitious scale. Yeah. And then basically when when it was shut last week, it was Jonah Peretti admitting that mm. the, 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 the distribution dynamics of social media had, had changed so badly that, you know, the whatever kind of glimmer of a business model there was at the start – and there was always an over-reliance on, on free distribution from social media. They're no longer there. And so he had to kill probably the, mo- the thing which he was most proud of in, in, in all his time at BuzzFeed. And I think a lot of people wrap BuzzFeed and BuzzFeed News in together, like BuzzFeed News. And I definitely did for a long time. And they say it's like also the quizzes and like all that sort of sugary BuzzFeed shit. But um, they did win like a Pul- Pulitzer Prize or something for – their reporting was on the Uyghur uh, Muslims in China. And that's, like, very meaningful work, well, considering they won that award. And he did seem to take, Jonah seemed to take, like, quite a lot of the blame in the messaging, in the statement that they put out when they were closing it down. Um, I did find it interesting, one, that the way that they, um, <laughs> the way that they let, I should not be laughing, the way they let people know that they'd lost their jobs was by entering a quirky like Zoom call or whatever called Doomsday, that's yeah. I, you can kind of imagine how that sort of feels when you're in yeah, with your senior executives, kind of <laughs> workshopping it. No, I know, but also, but, but if you're a person who works there, it's it's not quite so fun. No, it also I feel like was I thought that would have been made a bigger deal of in the reporting of this, but I sort of found it nestled within a few articles from CNN and stuff, and I was like, it's kind of to me because I like the news and I like shitposting, the fact that it was a doomsday, like, room, that felt huge to me. It just, obviously it wasn't the lead. <laughs> obviously it wasn't. I think the fact of it closing is, is so, it feels like such an end of an era, yeah. right? And you've seen East even, I think, but the BuzzFeed shares are tra- trading at like 59 cents at the moment. Just like, yeah, this was a company that was worth billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, what did I say? Someone wanted to buy it for a billion dollars and then now it's worth 100 mil. Which, yeah. I mean, we've seen it with other media Well, companies. Vice is, is a, in a really similar situation, right, where it was, again, I think it was worth sort of $5.5 billion at its hide and is now struggling to justify evaluation even in the hundreds of millions. I mean, the thing that defines both those brands, each of which was assumed to be kind of going to kind of destroy the legacy media likes of the New York Times, is that they were, they were both very youth-focused, heavily reliant on social media, and they had a single... You know, revenue stream, which was advertising, and you know, it's it's really hard to see. Well, the, neither of them are ever coming back to to where they were, and it does sort of show you that the the sort of underlying business model matters more than the brand in these situations. Yeah, both of them had super strong brands, but they're now really struggling to even exist in any meaningful way. So, to that we say, normalize supporting the media you love. And if that media is shit you should care about, great. Please come and support us. If that media is the spin-off, please go and support them. We both have, like, subscriptions, donations. Very important. That's what I felt very heavily while I was reading this. It's so weird to be in it as well as reading about 
something that's happening to someone else that like very much could happen to you on any given day if you don't like diversify your this is getting very nerdy well no but, but, you know, but it's real like I mean I assume that anyone listening to this podcast can self-identifies as being interested in news and if you're interested in news you've got to be interested in how news was, is paid for yeah you know and if it's just advertising as soon as come, someone comes along with a better story around their advertising product the thing that you love might go away mm. so you know, it's 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 not that expensive to pay for compared to all kinds of other trash we spend our money on. So, you <laughs> so <know. laughs> please, just a week. Support Cisco. <laughs> or the spinoff. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whatever you want. Um, speaking of people that have lost something that they loved, which I think you said somewhere in there, my brain hooked onto it, waiting for a segue, but you kept talking, <laughs> which is fine. Tucker Carlson lost Fox News or Fox News lost Tucker Carlson. One of them loves the other, one of them doesn't. Or they hate each other now? I assume they hate each other now. Um, yeah, this this was a really interesting story that came very quick out the back of the, the enormous settlement uh, between mm. Dominion Voting Machines and Fox News. Which we spoke about on last week's podcast. If you want to have an update on that, that would have been a great one to have you on for, Dunk, but you're a busy man, it's fine. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I had to question said it was, it was cool. <laughs> Um, No, but I mean, so Tucker Carlson has been the face of Fox News for for some years now. Yeah, Yeah, he's been he's been on the the network for about ten, I think, but but host of its sort of primetime show for four or five years. But you know, and and over that time, like I remember watching Tucker Carlson on CNN, which seems impossible to imagine him on a you know kind of more centrist or liberal station like CNN now. But he was he wore a bow tie and he was a conservative. He was the kind of cool conservative that a you know a liberal person could have an argument with, and that yeah. led to this legendary John Stewart came on as a guest and absolutely ripped them both apart. And the whole show basically ended after that. It was one of oh if you God. look that stuff on YouTube, okay. it's it's. It's electric TV, <laughs> but you know, like and he, you know, he's friendly with Ben Smith. Like that, you know, they, yeah, they, you know, they, they basically he feels like a kind of sort of waspish, intelligent version of uh, conservatism. Only over the last sort of three years, and you know, basically kind of happening all the time that Trump was in power, he became increasingly. It felt, as someone who had followed his career, cynical about how mm. he sort of played his audience like a violin. And I think you saw with the communication that came out under the Dominion voting suit that 
you know, he was often saying things outwardly on TV, which he had no real belief in private. So there was a, a level of cynicism there that also ultimately exposed Fox to this enormous legal jeopardy. So it's not surprising that he's gone, really. In fact, we should probably have seen it coming. But the thing that buzzes me out is just how frequently Fox will just absolutely murder someone who has been a huge part of their audience. Yeah. So we've seen Glenn Beck. We've seen Bill O'Reilly. You know, there's some kind of – and this is very – if you watch Succession, this is such a part of yeah. what that show kind of reveals is that they just have this enormous trust in their brand and their ability to surface the next rapacious kind of right-wing commentator to the point where they can do something which a lot of TV networks would be terrified to do. If, you have a, if you've got a really hit important anchor, you just – do anything to keep them pleased. Yeah. Fox just take them out back and murder them routinely now. So so do you think it's a Tucker Carlson type that's that's coming on to replace him? Are they gonna try or are they gonna try and change it? What do you think? Well they they've announced that they're gonna have oh. like a, a rotating cast of people for a period of time. That's not a long term yeah, okay. solution. And it probably is a bit of a Game of Thrones type. Yeah. So see how different people rate and respond. Um but you know, I I look you Fox News is an awful thing. I think, you know, probably competes with social media for the most destructive force um, that's been unleashed on society in the past 30 or 40 years. But at the same time, you kind of have to at least grudgingly admire the the confidence it takes to just do this over and over, especially when their ratings are still incredibly high. And a lot of people would just protect that at all costs. Don't destabilize it. But they just... Just do this so often, it, it blows my mind. Yeah. Do you think there was more that was going to come out on Tucker Carlson? There's, that... a, there's a lawsuit that oh. alleges like rampant misogyny and anti-Semitism at his production. But Fox News has had just so many of these lawsuits and over also, the years. That's almost like it'd be weird if there wasn't. I was going to say, and also like they there doesn't even need to be a lawsuit. Like they insinuate a lot of that shit just in their usual broadcasting. That's just content. Yeah, that's yeah. just content for them. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I find it really buzzy that we didn't um, – well, not buzzy. Like, we didn't get a this is why because they didn't really need to give us a this is why. And also it creates more media for them and their base to, like, not say and have people guessing and making conspiracies and, and things like that. I do find that watching Succession, it's one of the many – It's no, it's one of the few TV shows that makes – learning about real life more fun. Like, because I've seen Succession, I'm more interested. This is not really a hot take, I don't think. But I'm more interested in things happening in real life, which is just, I enjoy that about Succession. And I'm getting a lot of Succession hate on my timelines at the moment. Really? Just, like, kind of funny stuff, like people being like, um, every time someone tells you to watch Succession and then it's just like four stock photos of people in a boardroom and it's like every scene looks like this and I'm like no you just don't get it but I'm not here to well, that, that, that can be true it doesn't mean it's a bad yeah. show it doesn't mean it's for everyone yeah so I mean that you know that, no. that. but uh, <laughs> you're, 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 you're right that it does have this quality where when you're fully deep in the succession world it, so many news stories feel like they're ripped from succession. Yes. Um, you know, like they, they, you know, like it's almost like when the show ends, it won't end. No, <laughs> it'll just be even like better. We real understand life. reality. I listened to a four part series on Rupert Murdoch, like just so that I could understand succession better, like not not the other way around. So um, we will. I don't know. We probably won't keep you in the loop because Tucker Carlson 
I don't really care what he does next unless it's really buzzy. Well, well, the thing that's interesting, right, is that of the you know of the Glenn Beck, Bill O'Reilly types, when they leave, they don't they 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 they're so sort of poisoned that they can never you know there's you can't go to CNN. Yeah. You can't go to MSNBC, obviously, which is even more kind of left-wing. I love that you say obviously, and I've got no idea why it's <laughs> obvious that well, you can't, but you explained MSNBC it. MSNBC really positioned itself as a, a kind of, a you know, to the left of CNN. And to the right of Fox News are like really crazy channels yeah. with, with very small audiences that are often getting kicked off cable. So they all end up with their own podcast. Like yeah. That's what he's going to do. <laughs> he might get a column at like a sort of a fancy right-wing magazine, but they're – you, it might be a popular podcast too. Yeah, I mean, some some of them are all right. There's right wing radio, which is hugely influential in the US as well. But there is no way back from Fox. I mean, that that's generally been the the reality for the big anchors. How do you know so much about US TV and radio and stuff? Um, there's a lot of really good reporting on it, yeah. and so I just read that. And I kind of hate watch it sometimes. Or, or hate's not the right well, word. It's it was just the like, way that you said, yeah, I used to watch Tucker Carlson on CNN or whatever. And I was like, what What was your business like doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. that? You're just an intriguing dude. And I just feel like I need to know why you were consuming it. I was just lonely. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we've all been there. Bell wrote a really, wrote a really good newsletter on Lonely. Goddamn, that was good. <laughs> um, now, something that's like least depressing and just very, very interesting that you have written about this week, last week. Yeah. Music and its relation to AI. Yeah. I mean, I always think that music's like an amazing place to look at technological change mm. through but because like, you know, the the first file sharing, you know, um, Napster, LimeWire, Kazar, et cetera, happened to music first, not because music's kind of particularly, you know, like it's, Basically, it's a small file size. Yeah. That's why it happened nice. first. So the internet first started to destroy the economic base of music before it destroyed the economic base of movies. Yeah. You know, before it destroyed the economic base and of television. And when you say destroyed the economic base, people were pirating it and no one was making money off of it. Yeah, so CDs, you can just see, like, there's so many graphs around which show, like, CD sales peaking around 99, 2000. It wasn't like we suddenly stopped making good music. 2000, fantastic yeah. decade for music. Um, but uh, CD sales plummeted and the whole economic impact or the, the total kind of GDP of music, if you will, just kind of halved through the course of that decade, basically because piracy became a thing. But music also recovered out of that first. You mm. know, streaming uh, through the likes of Spotify, Apple Music mm. happened before it happened to, you know, before Netflix. Again, small yeah. file size. So you could have quite a bad internet connection, still stream music that you couldn't, where you couldn't stream television or movies because they just require a lot more data to work. You are such an encyclopedia, just it is, I'm just an old dude. It's no, it's just you're very self-deprecating too. But just watching you know that the graphs that are showing the dates of when, like the economic base of this fucking, like it's so interesting. Sorry, this is very meta to be doing this like live on the podcast. But Duncan is a like pure encyclopedia. Anyway, um, carry on because what's happened now? Music well, recovered. Well, mu music recovered, but now it's you know, obviously we've been talking on this podcast a bunch this year about the rise of generative AI. Mm -hmm. And it just seems kind of natural and fitting that the first kind of big pop culture crossover moment where you're sort of seeing a cultural form be impacted by the implications of generative AI came, you know, at least the one which caught my attention was a uh, 
an artist called, you know, it's a TikTok account called like Ghostwriter977 on TikTok, released a single that featured the voices of Drake and The Weeknd singing a song called Heart on My Sleeve. But at least to me, particularly the Drake part, was incredibly plausible. I know. Yeah, I agree. Kind of better than most recent yes. Drake singles, <laughs> yeah, if i <laughs> because the author hasn't revealed themselves, we don't know to what extent, like, was the beat AI composed? Dunno. Um, yeah. Were, were, were the, the lyrics, lyrics AI oh. written? Dunno. Like, it's totally plausible. You could train an AI on yeah. Drake's lyrics and have them write those lyrics. But that fundamentally, like, the Drake has never rapped those words, yeah. but it was Drake rapping those words. Mm. And this thing was, like, a big hit. It was all across, like, streaming and um, and social services, and then suddenly it, it vanished. And, and it reminded people of... The, the music industry's attempts to kind of beat down the likes of LimeWire, you know, 20, mm. 25 years ago. But it it just does feel like this is the first window into this very strange new era of generative AI uh, and and what's, what it will do to creative industries. And do you think that um, whoever Drake's – who's Drake's label? Do you know? You Universal. Will know. Yeah, of course he knows. Um, did they – like – well, they Get the one, fucked off? Yeah, they're the ones who okay. sent cease and desist notices. And because right now they're an important partner for the likes of TikTok, uh, YouTube, yes. Spotify, etc. But as soon as the power dynamic there changes, you know, it could get audibly complex. Because, I mean, one of the things which I thought was really interesting, I read this guy Mark Mulligan who writes really well about music and technology and he was sort of saying that basically – it's not at all clear that the song actually did break copyright because mm. you, know, you, you normally copyright something that's an original creation of, of your own or a group of people's. Yes, it used Drake's voice, but because it used it in this sufficiently new way, it's possible that a, especially a, a lay jury, a jury of people from outside the music industry would say, well, this is actually different enough that, that you're allowed to do it. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, Dan, Dan Runcie, who writes the brilliant hip-hop newsletter Trapador, was like, you know, is there a future where Drake can uh, license his voice effectively? People can make up their own Drake songs and they just revenue share with them, which is what, uh, you know. <laughs> which is what Grimes wants to do. So I sent Dunk the other day, and you've probably already seen it because you're across the no pun intended, beat way more than I am, but um, Grimes shared a screenshot of the New York Times writing about Hard on my sleeve, which is the song Dunk's talking about, and said um, she would like quite happily share fifty percent of profits on any successful AI generated song that used her voice. Um, she basically said that she like fuck copyright and she wants to be a guinea pig. She said that like the title of the song doesn't have to credit her as a featured artist. She just wants anyone to do what they want, and if it becomes like commercially successful, she wants fifty percent. Um, and she wants to be, like, at the front of this thing, which is very Grimes Super to want Grimes. to be at the front of the thing. I think it's cool. I think it's – well, she's not tied to a label, so it's interesting there. But I think it's cool um, for her to be, like, just try and make something fucking cool using my voice. I mean, it's random because they could make you say anything – you, in quotes. What do you think about Yeah, I mean, that? I think it really suits her, and I do think artists should have kind of – um, authority over their own creative output. But I do think that 
I also know, I mean, for example, uh, the Universal has asked Spotify, Apple Music, and all of the content providers to add to their terms of service to to explicitly rule out the, the these databases being trained being used to train AI so that you can't go and kind of say do a prompt that asks you to write a song in the style of Taylor Swift with a fallout boy chorus or whatever that yeah. it just won't know what that is. Yeah, okay. And if you look at ChatGPT at the the 10 sites that it's um you know that it's obviously trained on millions of sites but I went and looked the Washington Post has got a a place where you can just look up all of the URLs for um what which like a Google um, AI is trained on and yeah. five of the top 10 in new sites. The spinoff is number 4,567. It's just, it's just not, it's just Did quite, you make the number up? No, that's a real number. But it was 4,567. Probably. Probably made it up. But it's around yeah. there. <laughs> Sorry that you're on the pod with a genius, but no, <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, oh, Shall I find out what it actually was? <laughs> you actually can. No, but um, I just think that's a crazy coincidence if it's 4,567. Not to call you out live on the, I just no, thought it was no. cool. <laughs> it's four five nine seven. Oh, okay. That was and six and nine are just flipped. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so. Right. so anyway, but the point is that, like, I do think that the the one thing which hasn't really been assessed uh, to this point is the extent to which these generative AI databases are relied on, like an impossible an impossibility of consent. Like, there's no way that anyone who was putting stuff on the internet did so knowing that those things would be taken and used to train these just impossibly advanced generative AI systems and that if you gave someone the opportunity to meaningfully deny that, most of them are going to say no. Yeah. So I think that music actually has this tiny narrow window to say, you know, we're we're wanting to build a parallel system or a compensation system rather than just have it happen to us like they did yeah. and have another lost decade like they did with uh, Damn. with uh, file sharing. And I also like, I mean, this is probably everyone feels this way, but I don't really want a world where I'm hearing Harry Styles like jupes like singing every single type of song already my tiktok feed is like the most popular one is harry styles singing ceilings by lizzie McAlpine, and like what kanye singing hey there delilah and it's like and and um i don't even know if it, this is real or not and it freaks me out there was a cover billy eilish singing a cover of sex by the 1975 like on a ukulele and i Genuinely, and I searched this, I couldn't tell if it was real or not, if it was old and it had been taken down on YouTube, but I didn't know if, like, she didn't want it up or if it was AI generated. And so already my TikTok feed is really mystifying. And I use it as a music discovery platform, like it has trained me to do. Um, but now I'm discovering music that I actually can't go and listen to, or it just sounds like ripoffs of, you know, obviously, I don't know, it's not a world that I think many people want, but it's interesting the licensing your voice to make actual good stuff that you as an artist would like. Yeah, maybe because there's a version of it where you, where you can kind of submit songs to it and an artist can approve them. Yeah. Like, or like a I've, cameo um, like yeah, style there, there, There's all kinds of different you know, kind of applications you can imagine for it. I tend to think that and maybe I'm just being kind of uh, – old-fashioned or something but i do think that there's a sort of a fundamental psychic relationship between a fan and an artist that 
just would not exist to a kind of an AI version of their catalog. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. I just struggle to think that the way that you are about the 1975, for example, you would continue to be were the catalog to become largely yeah. generative AI. Maddie Healy would not be having that. No. But also it's kind of like even when I find out that an artist that I thought wrote like a song that I loved didn't actually write it and then I feel slightly like – oh, my God, I thought those words that you were saying came from your brain, and it's fine that they didn't write the song. It's like I just wish I would have known before I got connected to it, <laughs> and then I find the person that did I don't really do that, but it's a little bit like well, a it's, little it's, bit it's, like it's, that. It's a much more kind of extra version of that. Yeah. Right? Like I, I never have a problem with that. Cause... No. Well, neither really. I'm just trying to make it make sense. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's just the, the whole thing is is really confronting, and we're – on some level, just conjecturing about how will humans respond to this thing? How will platforms respond to it? Will yeah. they just kind of kick it off? Will they embrace it? It's all... Well, it's like with TikTok, their favorite thing is just to like get rid of the thing. And it's kind of... I just don't think it can work forever to just always ban everything that's like not working. Mm, but anyway, that's another year of living or 10 years of living. It's not another podcast. It's another like live through this weird thing. Duncan... I didn't bring a good news story this week. So um, if you've got any good news you'd like to share. <laughs> good news. It just doesn't seem like we're in our good news no, era. Well, I'm not going to lie. I feel like this has been quite a positive episode. Well, BuzzFeed News closing, no. Tucker Carlson getting fired, kind of. Um, Panopter content. Careful Blake. what you wish for, though. Like, Can you imagine there's going to be a more chill dude and it will be a dude replacing <laughs> Tucker Suck Carlson? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, well, anyway, since Duncan's got no good news for us, I guess the good news is that um, maybe you'll hear him next week or maybe the week after. Or I don't actually know when you'll hear him again. The good news is you can support both of our flourishing media companies. The good in- news is, is there's an incredible new tax data set out in oh. New Zealand. Oh, my God. And on that note, we might love you all and leave you. See you. See you when we see you, team. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.